come down onto earth as we pray for daily bread, as we pray for forgiveness, and as we pray for protection from evil. Uh, On the ladder of the Lord's Prayer, we descend from the contemplation of who God is, our Father, to who we are, simply sinful children. Uh, In the first three petitions of this prayer of uh, of the Lord, our soul rises directly to God, and in the three following, we face the hindrances of these aspirations. Proper prayer. You know, we, we, we say time and time again, we rest not against flesh and blood. We, we battle against principalities and against powers. You know, the devil is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. We are in a real spiritual battle every single day. So we are told to pray in the manner of being protected from certain things. Uh, we are told, uh, we are asking the Lord uh, for two requests in this final petition. The first one uh, is uh, negative, lead us not into temptation, that's talking about God's direction. And then the second one is positive, but deliver us from evil, that's talking about God's deliverance. So that's what we look at tonight, we look at God's direction and God's deliverance. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9 says, after this manner therefore pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Father, we thank you again for this day, for this time together, for this opportunity to come around your word. Father, we do pray Uh, that you would help us in these aspects today as we ask for your direction and for your deliverance, that you would indeed lead us not into temptation, that you would deliver us from evil, that there would be a protection in our walk, Lord, that our testimony may be maintained. Father, we recognize the fact that we get soiled because of the filth of this world, and sometimes we just need that spiritual bath. But Lord, there's also preventative measures that can be taken so that we don't head down those routes that would cause us Um, to damage our walk with you or cause our testimony to be harmed. So, Father, would you speak to our hearts tonight as we look at these aspects of the Lord's Prayer and that that might be our prayer this week, that you would indeed lead us not into temptation and that you would deliver us from evil. For we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So, I won't go through these again because we've gone through these um, each week, the Lord's Prayer talks about relationship, talks about the reality, realization, responsibility, reverence, request, repentance, and then today we're going to look at our reliance. Um, our reliance. This verse um, is all about relying upon the Lord. We saw this morning that we can do nothing without him. When we try and take matters into our own hands, when we try and do things in our own strength, when we try and do things you know, in accordance with our own will, we're not going to get very far. Um, but when we do things in accordance with God's will, when we do things, things when we rely upon his power and his strength and his direction and his guidance, then we're showing our utter reliance upon him rather than our reliance upon self. When we rely upon ourselves, that is the cornerstone of pride. But when we rely upon him, then that is the element of faith. This verse is all about trusting the Lord in the greatest battle that we face in life. Let me tell you something. 
The greatest battle you face in life is not against the devil. The greatest battle you face in life is against the person who sat in you a pew tonight. The greatest battle you face is you. You know, have you ever heard that statement? You know, your parents ever said, oh, you're your own worst enemy. And that's so true. And that's true in the spiritual realm as well, because oftentimes we give the devil far too much credit. The devil didn't make you do anything. You made yourself do it. But it's just nice having somebody else to blame. You know, Adam and Eve could say all they wanted, well, it was the devil that made us do it. The woman that gave us me, she made me do it. The, the serpent, he beguiled me. No, 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 no. You must have had a desire to do that in the first place. You were just happy to put the blame on somebody else. Everybody does it. You, next time you have an argument with somebody, at some point during that argument, even if you know you're wrong, you'll shift the blame onto somebody else. Because you justify it. We want to justify our behavior. This battle that we face against ourselves, this is why the Lord said, look, you know, we, don't, we, can, we can preempt this now. We can be, you know, preemptive. Proactive instead of reactive. That's the word I was looking for. We can be proactive instead of reactive. You know, oftentimes we get ourselves into a mess and we say, oh, Lord, forgive us. Well, well, why don't we be proactive and just say, Lord, stop me doing the stupid things that I need to come back and ask you for forgiveness for tomorrow. That's basically what this is saying here. The battle we face every day against ourselves is the times that we are tempted. Uh, We fight the temptations of the flesh on a daily basis. We fight the attacks of the devil on a daily basis. This phrase teaches us that prayer is simply about relying upon God every day. Just because you had the victory today, it doesn't mean you're going to have the same victory tomorrow or that that battle won't come anywhere near you tomorrow. Look, this is not how it works. The devil doesn't turn around and go, oh, they won that battle. I won't, I won't try that again. Oh, you keep, you keep picking and picking and picking and picking at the same spot until finally... You ever, you ever, let me ask you a question now, and I need you to be honest. How many of you have ever teased somebody or, or wound somebody else up? Only Bernadette willing to admit that. I'm Melinda. There we are. There's a couple of hands going up now. You know, we, we do it all the time, and I, and I don't know what it is, but whenever I tease Joan, she says, right, you need to stop that now. Something inside me suddenly turns into like a cartoon villain. <laughs> and I just keep teasing and teasing and teasing. She's like, you, you need to stop. And I'm like, I know this is, I know this is winding you up. It's like just picking at a scab, picking, 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 picking. I can't help myself. I need prayer. She needs prayer more than I need prayer. But that's what the devil's like sometimes with us. Just keeps picking. Now, if Joe would turn around and say, that don't bother me, I'd be like, oh, that's a waste of time then, wouldn't it? Just give him my best shot, eh? When you see a little bit of weakness, what are you doing that for? Great. But, But that's exactly what the devil does to us. If we get to a point where it doesn't phase us, it doesn't affect us, we give it to the Lord, then we've won the battle. 
But that doesn't mean the battle won't come again, because you'll just keep picking and picking and picking and picking. So our reliance is on uh, the fact that God will direct us. Lead us not into temptation. That simple request is absolutely brimming with meaning. The word temptation comes from the Greek word which carries the main meaning of testing. It refers not so much to a solicitation to do evil or an enticement to sin as to trials that test the character of a person. God doesn't tempt us to do evil. That's not in God's character because it goes against the perfect character of God. God doesn't tempt us to do evil. God did not cause Adam and Eve to sin. He's not the author of sin. If God tempted man to sin, then his nature would not be holy. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Why do we pray that God would not lead us into any kind of testing or temptation? Even though God is not the instrumental cause or the author of our testing, he does permit experience in our lives that test us. You know, we know that he allows the, the devil to come our way and to tempt us. Remember, temptings come from the devil to get us to do wrong. Testings come from God in order to make us stronger. Without the trying of your faith, uh, you know, the trying of our faith worketh patience so why do we need to pray that god wouldn't lead us into temptation then or wouldn't lead us into um into testing the bible's clear that temptations and testings will come into our lives and are completely and utterly unavoidable times of intense testings are going to happen times of intense temptations are going to happen this petition is a request that the Lord minimizes those occasions of our testing that may result in us sinning or in us giving in to our fleshy desires. It articulates the repentant disciples' felt weakness to stand up under severe trials in view of our sinfulness. So the, the idea here is, Lord, preserve me from temptation that will bring me under its sway preserve me from temptation that will cause me to fall, that will cause me to stumble. It's the expression of the redeemed soul so, that so despises and fears sin that it says, Lord, I don't want to be put in a situation that's going to cause me to stumble because I don't want to sin. I don't want to come. You know how, how many times have you said this? Oh, it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. How many times have you used that? A few people looking around at other people, so it must have happened a few times. But what this is saying is, again, this is being proactive instead of reactive. It's saying, Lord, don't put me in a situation today that is going to test me to the point where I'm going to lose my testimony, where I'm going to cave in, where I'm going to, to give in to, to sin, as it were. This is the expression of the redeemed soul that so despises sin that he wants to escape it at all costs, choosing to avoid temptation rather than having to defeat temptation. You know, it's similar to when you think about Joseph. 
that temptation came day after. It was relentless. You know, it came from someone close to him. He, he was the, the chief steward in, in part of his house. So he, were, he would have worked with the, with the whole family. So the temptation came from somebody close to him. Temptation came when he was away from home, when he wasn't in the safety of his family, when he wasn't in the safety of, uh, of the, the, the house. Temptation came when no one was looking. There was nobody else around. It was just him and her. It would have been quite easy for him to give in to that, but instead of falling for temptation and then asking God for forgiveness, he ran. I think it was Warren Weasby that said it was better for Joseph to lose his cloak than to lose his testimony. And that's what he did. He ran. So what this prayer is saying is, is Lord, prevent that from even happening. If I'm going to go into a situation today that's going to cause me to fall, I don't want to be in that situation. If I'm going to be in a situation today that's going to cause me to sin, that's going to cause me to think the wrong thing, would you protect me and stop me from going there? Because I don't want to lose my testimony. I don't even want to have to come before you at the end of the day and say, Father, forgive me. Those who, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, I don't want to have to do that at the end of the day. I'd rather not be put in that position in the first place. Now, temptation in itself is not a sin. But the instant that temptation is embraced and pursued, that's a sin. Remember now, we got two, let's look at two instances. Joseph was under intense temptation with part of his wife, who daily, daily told him to come and lie with her. And then we have David on the rooftop. He sees Bathsheba bathing. Just seeing Bathsheba on the rooftop bathing, even if she was unclothed, wouldn't have been of itself a sin. But when David pursued that sin, it was a temptation. But if David had been like, oh, blame me, I can't believe I just saw that. Oh, my days. But it was... Oh, oh hang on a minute. He saw with his eyes. And then that led him to head across to Bathsheba's rooftop, as it were. Sin had been born. And we know the end result. Sin brought forth death and destruction. It wasn't just Uriah that died as a result of that sin, but it was the baby that was conceived by that act that perished as well. Once there were two monks journeying along a path when they came to a crossing. They had attempted to cross the same river was a young woman, and she was frightened. She was unable to make the crossing. And one of the monks picked her up, carried her across the stream, and sat her down on the other side. And the two monks continued on their journey. After some time, the other monk turned to the first monk and said, My brother, I am troubled by something. As you know, our order prohibits us from even looking upon a woman, much less touching one. Yet you picked up that woman and carried her across that stream, and you do not seem to be bothered by your transgression. The second monk merely smiled and said, My brother, I put that woman down back by the river's bank, but you are still carrying her in your heart. That is the essence of temptation. 
when we go back to Eve, she saw, she looked, she saw, said that it was good, and then she tasted. And that's exactly what David did. He looked, he saw, thought it was good, and then that sin was born within him that caused his feet to move. The heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. Um, Jesus said in Matthew 15, 19, For out of the heart proceedeth evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. So what we are doing when we're praying, as we should, uh, and we're calling on our Heavenly Father, we're praising Him, we're seeking His will in our lives, we're confessing our dependence upon Him for every need of our life. When we pray, uh, forgive my debts, we're looking at the past. When we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we're praying for the present. When we say, lead me not into temptation, then we're praying for our future steps. Having just dealt with the issue of my past sins before the Lord, the saint who pray, who's prayed is declaring an, an awareness that sin might happen again. We are not free from sin. We've been freed from sin and its power, and its penalty, but we've not been freed from the presence of sin. We've been freed from sin, but we're not free from sin. You know, how many times have you used the expression, I, I'm just a sinner saved by grace? You know, people say, oh, you Christians, you're just a bunch of self-righteous do-gooders, you're just a bunch of hypocrites who are so judgmental. There's nothing special about us other than the fact that Christ's blood's been applied to our lives. We are sinners saved by grace. You're not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you sin us. That is in our nature. And when we get to the point where we think, nothing can touch me, then that's a problem because we need to be on our guard all the time. We are expressing, when we say, Lord, lead us not into temptation, we just asked, the Lord has just asked, forgive, or just said in the prayer, forgive us our debts. What he goes on to say then is, Lord, don't let me get to that position again, just in case the next sin is more serious than the one you've just cleared me from. Those who have been forgiven at the throne of grace live in fear about sinning against the Lord who gave his life for us upon the cross. We know the expense of sin. We know what sin does. We know its dangers. We know the cost that he paid. He who knew no sin became sin for us. That's what sin costs. You know, we might look back in the Garden of Eden um, when that first animal was killed in order to provide the skins for Adam and Eve. And forget now, that was the first time they'd ever seen blood. That was the first time they'd seen death when that animal was slain so that their nakedness could be covered. What, what must they have thought? Oh, that's horrific. That's horrendous. That's the cost of sin. You know, for those who, who came to Israel last year and we went to the, um, the mock-up of the tabernacle and you, you saw the altar, um, that altar would have just been, there would have been blood everywhere because that was the nature of the cost of sin. You know, when animals are brought to that altar for sacrifice, God was just reminding people, that's how expensive sin is. 
When Christ died upon the cross, he paid the penalty of our sins, but we still live in a sinful world. We still live in a fallen world. We still face temptations every single day. That old flesh nature still wants to do what's wrong. You know, every time you were given change from a 20 and you only give them a 10, don't tell me there's not a little part of you that says, oh, I just made it big, eh? Only a little part, maybe. But that's the battle that goes on within us, between the flesh and the spirit. Constantly striving for the dominance. When sin has been dealt with, the cleansed soul has a fear to not do that again. But I kept under my body, Paul says, and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. He kept under his body, brings it into subjection. Kind of says, whoa. Halt a minute now. I don't want to go down the path where I'm going to do something that's going to dishonor God. I don't want to go down the path where I'm going to do something that's going to bring God's name into disrepute. I don't want to sin. How many of us have been there? How many of us have sinned and go to God and confess? And we say, Lord, I'll never do this again, Lord. I'm thankful I can come before you. And if I confess my sins, you're faithful and just. And I praise you for that, Lord. And I'll never, ever, ever, never, ever do it again. Thank you, Lord. And then you feel that forgiveness. You feel that weight is lifted off you. You feel that burden is gone. You're like, yes. How many days will pass before we fall into the same sin again? This prayer is a prayer of protection along life's way. You know, we need that. Because like we said this morning, we're not of the world, but we're still in the world. We're still surrounded. This world is so much more provocative now than it was a generation ago. This, You know, if my grandparents were here today, they would not recognize this world. Because anything goes. Let me ask this question then. Who remembers Barbara Whitehouse? Remember Barbara Whitehouse? Good night. You, I mean, this was a woman that you used to have something called a watershed. And it was the, the younger ones now. Sorry, Charlie, I looked at you then. I said that. I said younger ones. Um, the younger ones. We used to have something called a watershed. And there wasn't allowed to be any swearing on telly before nine o'clock. Um, and this woman, Barbara Whitehouse, if there was anything untoward on TV, then I, I, don't, I don't even know what she did. I don't, she was part of anything. I just remember the name. But now anything goes. You know, you, you can look at some TV adverts and you're like, how, how would our kids allow to watch something like that? That's just an advert on daytime telly on a Saturday afternoon when, on a Saturday morning. When kids are watching it, this world is an absolute mess. And we are just surrounded by sin. But that's why we pray something like this, Lord, lead us not into temptation. Protect my walk as, as we go through this life. We carry the sinful flesh with us every minute we live. We need help. We need a helper. We need somebody who's greater than we are. And as Paul said, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. 
Hebrews 2.18 says, For in uh, that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. He can provide the help that we need. He will direct us. He does direct our paths. Lord, lead us not into temptation. Don't put us in situations that are going to cause us to fall so that we lose our testimony, so that we, that we sin, so that we dishonor you, so that we hurt or harm the cause of Christ. But not only do we need to rely that God will direct us, we need to rely upon him that he'll deliver us. Deliver us from evil. Our prayer should not only be, Lord, lead me and strengthen me, it should also be, Lord, deliver me and protect me. Keep me safe, guard me, uh, stop me from fallen into sin. Deliver us from evil. The word deliver comes from a Greek word which means to spare, to save, or persevere, or preserve, sorry. Uh, The meaning depends on what the word evil means. Um, This is a reference to evil generally, or it can even be a reference to the evil one, Satan. When the Greek preposition apo, which means from, follows the word deliver, It usually refers to deliverance from people. When the Greek preposition ek, which is translated from, follows the word deliver, it always refers to deliverance from things. The word apo is used in the Greek text here, so what it is saying is, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us from um, not evil things, but from evil, the evil one. It's an accurate uh, reference, especially to Satan himself. Proper prayer for spiritual protection understands that the devil is a real person. If you were to say to somebody in the world today, describe the devil to me. They don't have to be in church, they don't have to be uh, a member of a church, they don't have to be saved, a Christian, they could be an atheist, but if you said to anybody in the world, describe the devil to me, what does he look like? I can guarantee you a few characteristics that they're going to say. They're going to say that he's the one in charge of hell. They're probably going to say about his little red horns. They're probably going to tell you he's got some kind of pitchfork and a a pointy tail. And for the most part, people are going to see him more as a mischievous character. Somebody that's kind of like a a lovable rogue type of character. It couldn't be anything further from the truth when you're talking about Satan. He is a real person. He's not an impersonal cosmic force. He is alive and well on planet Earth. He is the God, little g, of this world. He is the prince and power of the air. He is your enemy. Whether you like it or not, whether you're saved or not, he's still your enemy. And I, I, I know I've said this before, um, and, and I just can't stop every time I come to a point like this, can't stop thinking about it. And I know you all know what I'm going to say. We had youth outside, and the one kid says, I love Satan. And something John Thomas said to them absolutely blew them away. He said, well, that's funny, because Satan hates you. What? But I love him. Doesn't matter. Whether you're lost or saved, Satan's still your enemy. He doesn't want you to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your saviour. He doesn't want that. 
I mean, he hates you even more once you're a child of God, because guess what? He hates every single person on this planet because every single person on this planet is made in the image of God. And that just winds him up. You ever, you ever disliked somebody because they reminded you of somebody else? Anybody ever done that? Say, I don't know you personally, but there's, there's a few people on TV, there's a few actors on TV, I'm like, oh, I, I, I don't like them. Why? I know they just remind me of, maybe they remind me of somebody from school who wasn't nice, or they remind me of somebody from work who wasn't nice, but there's just like a, an association. Every time the devil looks in the eyes of anybody lost or saved, they remind him of God. Because every person on this planet is made in his image. Now he hates us even more because not only are we made in his image, we've been saved by his blood. Proper prayer for spiritual protection understands that the devil is a real person. Here's the thing. Our enemy tonight is not the person in church that disagrees with us. Our enemy tonight is not the church down the road that does things slightly different to us. Our enemy tonight is not the church up the valley that uses a different Bible version to us. Our enemy tonight is not the church uh, in the other town whose music is slightly different to ours. Our enemy tonight is not the person sat next to you because of something they did to you years ago. Our enemy tonight is not somebody in our family that we fell out with over something now that we can't even remember. That's not our enemy. Our enemy is the devil. That's our enemy. But here's the thing. People put so much effort and time into fighting with one another that they kind of let their guard down and they've not prayed to be delivered from the evil one. We're doing his bidding for him. The amount of times the churches literally implode and destroy themselves because of backbiting and bitterness and arguing and infighting is comical. And the devil's not done a single thing. The devil's probably thought, oh, never, another church is closed. And I didn't have to lift a finger. No, because we've done his work for him. The enemy is not sat on that side of the church or that side of the church or upstairs or at the back or at the front. That's not our enemy. Our enemy is the devil. Satan, that old serpent, the dragon, the evil one. And we should pray that the Lord would deliver us from Satan's power, from his snares, from his arts, from his temptations. In a cursed world where we are battered by evil all around us every single day, we confess our inadequacy, our inadequacy to deal with the devil's fiery darts. That's why we need the shield of faith. That's why we need the helmet of salvation. That's why we need the breastplate of righteousness and the belt of truth and the shoes of peace. And by, above all, we need prayer and the sword of the Spirit. We need those weapons. Why? Because we are no match for the devil on our own, and in our own strength. But if we resist the devil based on his strength, then he will flee from us. At the name of Jesus... We confess our weakness when we say, Lord, deliver us from evil. Deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us from his, his, his snares, his temptations, his traps, the fact that he walks around as a, a roaring lion. We confess our need for protection and deliverance. We need God's strength. We can't do this on our own. 
many times have we come out of the church feeling like we could take on the world and by the time we get to work Monday morning we just want to pack it all in again how many times do we leave church thinking I'm invincible and before we get home in the car somebody's wound us up enough for us to like blow out top you do not know Christ as your saviour then the devil's your father that's not my words that's the Lord's words ye are of your father the devil and the less of your father ye will do he was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him when he speaketh a lie he speaketh of his own for he is a liar and the father of it if you do not know Christ as your saviour tonight here in church or if you're watching online then the devil is your father there's no, there's no middle ground if you are unsaved, then you belong to the devil. If you are saved, you belong to God. That's Christ's words. If you are a Christian, then Satan's out to ruin your life. Satan's out to ruin your testimony. He's out to ruin your family. He's out to steal your joy. He's out to destroy your fellowship with God by enticing you into sinful living. Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Satan simply means adversary. He is our adversary. The word devil in the Greek word is simply the word for slanderer. The evil one is both a real adversary, 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 and a slanderer. You know when the devil is referred to as the accuser of the brethren? When he goes up before the throne of grace and he's still allowed to do that at the moment and he accuses us before the Lord. He's the accuser but Christ is the advocate. But we have an advocate with the Father, Christ Jesus the righteous. Every time he comes before God and says, he not awesome as growth. Jesus says, whoa, wait a minute. Off limits. Because he's under the blood. You see that in Lane Healy? See what she's been up to? Wait a minute. Off limits. You see that John Locke yet? Yeah, I know she's exactly like you, but that's another story. He's the accuser of the brethren. Christ is our advocate. He's our defender. Satan's not an idiot. Deserves our respect in the sense that he's dangerous and we, he can ruin us if we don't keep our guard up. We don't need to fear being in despair because when we acknowledge Satan's power correctly by praying to the Lord, deliver us from the evil one. We're not relying on our strength. We're not saying, oh, I can do this. You know, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. That's what the Bible says. So I can do that. No. We can't do that in our strength. We can only do that in his strength. 
This phrase is a plea for God's help in the battle with the enemy. When we pray this prayer, we recognize the fact that we are unable to wage war on him on our own. Therefore, we call on the name of the Lord, employing all the power that he has, employing everything that is at at his disposal to be relevant in our lives so that we can stand against the wiles of the devil, so that we can resist the devil and he'll flee from us, so we can recognize that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And then we can have the victory. Paul told us to put on the whole armor of God when he said, having done all to stand. That literally means fighting to a standstill. We are to take our stand against the flesh. We are to take our stand against the devil. We are to fight, as it were, to a standstill until our strength has been absolutely exhausted. At that point, we find the Lord by our side giving us the victory. He'll not fail us in the day of battle. He'll not fail us to give us that victory. Victory is ours. Why? Because our reliance is on the fact that God will direct us. Lead us not into temptation. Lord, don't allow me to go into places today that's going to cause me to stumble. And here's the thing. If you know you struggle with certain things, then there's probably certain places you shouldn't go to. If you struggle with certain sins, then there's probably certain things you shouldn't do, put in your mind, or don't put yourself in temptation's way. So this prayer is saying, Lord, lead me not into temptation. Don't allow me to go down that path. I've just asked you to forgive my sins. I don't want to come back again tomorrow and then pray for you to forgive me of a, of a worse sin than I prayed for today. We rely on God to deliver us. Because he not only directs us to not lead us into temptation, but he deliver us. we ask him to deliver us from the evil one. He's a roaring lion walking about the earth, seeking whom he may devour Victory is available. But, are we serious in seeking that victory? Do we want to live a victorious Christian life? You know, sometimes we can be so beaten up and beaten down and browbeaten that our joy is gone completely. But the joy of the Lord is our strength. And in order to get that joy back, then we've got to get that victorious living back. And in order to get that victorious living back, we've got to get that praying right. So as we remember those steps of the ladder, as we start in heaven um, by praising our Lord, and then we come down to doing his will, and then we come down to looking uh, back at uh, our past failures, to today's uh, present needs, and then for the path that we are to tread in the future. And God will give us the victory. And God will restore uh, the joy of our heart. He'll restore the years, as it were, that the locusts have eaten. He'll restore to us the joy of our salvation. Are you a joyous, victorious Christian tonight? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we need to get some joy back. The joy of the Lord's our strength. Let me tell you something. Satan steals your joy... Satan, take your strength. And you know when your strength is gone. If you've ever been unwell, when your strength is gone, you don't do nothing. Everything feels a million times worse. 
Satan can get our joy. He can get our strength. This prayer is asking the Lord to not put us in that situation, to give us what we need to be able to be delivered from that evil one. I'm thankful that the victory is ours, not because of us, but because of him. Father, thank you again for this day and this time together and for this privilege to come around you a word, Lord. We just pray that you would speak to our hearts tonight and help us. And Lord, if there is one here in the church tonight or if there's one watching online that has never trusted Christ as their saviour, Father, maybe they think that just denying that God even exists would be enough to keep them from going to hell because if God doesn't exist then maybe they convince themselves that hell doesn't exist but whatever they believe about God is irrelevant because hell is still a real place and for those who die without Christ then they will go to an eternal place called hell it won't be a place of party and it won't be a place of fun and frivolity it certainly won't be a place where the devil is in charge it's a place of absolute torment but God said that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So Father, I pray that somebody tonight would recognize that they've sinned, they've broken God's law, that they're not good enough to go to heaven on their own, they're not a perfect person, that they have flaws and failings. I know that's true about all of us, but that's why Christ died upon the cross so that our sins could be forgiven, so his blood could be applied to our lives. Once that blood is applied to our lives and our sins are forgiven, then hell is no longer a reality to us, but heaven is. So Father, I just pray that you would speak to someone's heart tonight, that they might come to know Christ as their Savior before it's too late, before that opportunity is taken away from them. And then, Father, for those who are saved, I just pray that you'd help us to recognize our reality is that you will direct us. And we pray that you wouldn't lead us into situations that would cause us to lose our testimony or cause us to stumble into sin. That you would deliver us and that you would deliver us from all kinds of evil. That you would especially deliver us from the evil one who was set out to destroy our lives and our testimony. Because if he can destroy our testimony, then... In his mind, he can prove that God is not true to his word. So, Father, would you help us today to live the victorious Christian life? If our joy is gone, then, Lord, may that joy be restored to us so as we regain that joy, our strength can be restored. And then we are able to walk worthy of the vocation with which we've been called. Father, we pray and ask all of these things in Christ's most wonderful and precious name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing our closing hymn together. Amen. Would you be free from your burden of sin?
release that power still in the blood, Lord. Mm. Help us, Lord, to go forth in the week ahead, leaping and praising thee, mm. to be mindful of our sins so that we might come back and have that fellowship with thee. Oh, Lord, we pray that God help us to proclaim your name in the week ahead, that others too might find that there is hope in this desperate world mm. in the name of Yeshua, Jesus our Saviour. We ask this, that God would be glorified, and yet men might find salvation in that wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Amen.